morning. Um, just to give you a teaser, if you want to hear how God's light is shining in the dark continent called Europe, if you're interested in hearing how the refugee crisis has become one of the greatest opportunities to proclaim the gospel, if you're interested uh, in, um, in, in hearing about the opportunities to serve and why I believe it's the most ex- one of the most exciting times to be a missionary to Europe, I look forward to seeing you at lunch. Um, I'd invite you this morning to turn to a familiar passage, Luke chapter 15, or just follow along in the, the bulletin. Luke chapter 15, and we'll begin our study this morning in verse 11. And Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? But here I am starving to death. I will set out and I will go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is now alive. He is lost and is found, and so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But you had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. Where were you April 1st, 1988? Okay, it's a trick question, because I know where I was, because that day was quite unforgettable. I had the opportunity to personally welcome President Reagan. Well, me and hundreds of others. But I was 14 at the time, 
and my high school was asked to play the traditional anthem, Hail to the Chief, for the president upon his arrival in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I remember all the security, I remember the pomp, I remember the circumstance, and I remember thinking, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. What's the most meaningful welcome that you've ever experienced? I think that this story points us to a more significant, a more meaningful welcome than even a president. It's the welcome of strangers. The welcome of nobodies. That's what I want to show you. This parable is not so much about being lost, although there are elements that we can certainly see in being lost, help us to understand what it means to be lost. It's not even as much a a parable about repenting, although we can learn a lot about repentance from this parable. It's a parable about the welcome of God extended to sinners. In order for us to understand that parable, we need to focus on two things. First, the welcome of the Father, and we need to see that that's a welcome in which we share. Secondly, the mission of the Son, and to see that's a mission in which we also share. So those two things. First, let's look at the welcome of the Father. When the story opens, we have a young man who is living at home, and he hates every minute of it. Any teenagers here relate to that? Perhaps he perceives that his parents are too restrictive, perhaps too little screen time allowed. Perhaps they didn't allow him to go out with his friends whenever to do whatever. The only reason that he musters enough energy to stay at home is simply this. Dad's the source of funds. And it's helpful to understand a bit of the cultural background. A man possessed his inheritance until the day of his death. And at that point, and at that point only, his wealth was then distributed to his sons. So the, the situation is apparently so bad in this young man's mind that he cannot stand another minute of it. And so he goes to his father in a rather brusque and culturally shocking way. And he says, Dad, I'd like you to divide the inheritance now. Give me the portion that comes to me now. Is in effect saying, Dad, I wish you were already dead now. And it's, it's not a gentle suggestion. It's not a polite request. It, it's not just impolite. It's actually illegal. But the second shocking thing that we shouldn't understand is this. The father goes along with it. He actually agrees to this. And he gives it to him. In this young man's mind, every step away from home was a step towards freedom. It was a step towards happiness. Now he was finally going to really live. He had plenty of money to do it. Apparently in this far country, happiness began with a binge and splurge. And then he may have developed sort of that refined sense of happiness. You know, gourmet food, you know, street food trucks and better hotels, wine, better food, better places. But at some point he had to make the calculation, hmm, I need to become a little bit more budget conscious. Instead of expensive wine, he switched to cheap, and instead of the expensive women, the cheaper ones, and then finally the money was gone. Without any money, he also found himself without any friends in a far country, and that's when things got really bad. Famine struck. We're told that he attached himself to a person of that country. He hired himself out. What does that mean? 
Well, it means that nobody would give him anything. He didn't have any real friends, only Facebook friends and Instagram followers. And then um, that man to whom he attached himself sends him out to, uh, to the fields to feed pigs. And the point is not that pigs are messy. The point is that he's employed by a Gentile in an unclean business. The point is he is so far from the Lord that he is absolutely cut off. He's a slave of a Gentile feeding pigs, no longer anywhere near his father's house. And it's at that point that he finally acknowledges his sin, his rebellion, his proneness to wander. And then we see a true confession. He knows he is totally unworthy. There's nothing glamorous and there's nothing theoretical about this repentance. He's hungry. No, actually he's starving. He's so hungry that he eats pods that are fed to the pigs. In fact, it's not even clear from the text whether or not he's not stealing from the pigs. At any rate, he's hungry and he's willing to eat some of the most disgusting food possible in the most unclean manner. So he comes to himself, the text says, when he came to his senses. He, he arises and he starts to go home. And I want at, at this point us, for us to unpack this welcome. To understand this welcome, I want to tell you the story of another welcome. It's called the, the story of the prodigal son in Buddhism. It's found in the Lotus Sutra of the, the liter, literature of the Mahayana Buddhism. It's written actually about a hundred years after this story. In the Buddhist parable, uh, there's a young man who leaves home and he becomes a beggar. He wanders from place to place. And one day he arrives in a certain town and he sees a wealthy man on uh, a wealthy man living on a great estate. And he looks at the wealthy Lord and then he's suddenly overcome with shock and fear because he recognizes that's my father. His father has moved to this town, has prospered and is now a great landowner. And as soon as the young man recognizes that's my father, what does he do? He runs away in fear. He fears for his life, and as he's running away, his father recognizes him. His father sends one of the servants to go after him. And the servant goes after the young man, and, and, and he brings him back, and he gives him a job on his father's estate. But the father doesn't tell anyone who the new employee is. He puts him at the bottom of the ladder. He puts him at the place where he has the lowliest task on the estate, scavenging. And the young man works for his father day after day, year after year. Years go by, and it comes time for the father to die. He calls the household, all his friends and his neighbors to get together, and on his deathbed, he makes this great announcement. This young man who has worked himself up in my employ, this young man is my son and the heir of everything I possess. So what's the story, or what's the moral of the story in Buddhism? Well, the literature tells us, and I quote, so does the Buddha prepare us by disciplined labor for the great reward. I hope that parable indicates some of the key differences between Christianity and every other religion on the face of the planet. So what's the difference that we see between the prodigal son in Buddhism 
and the prodigal son in Christianity. What's the main difference? Jesus. Amazing. Incredible. Unexplainable. Incomparable grace. Grace is seen in the, in the forgiveness of the Father for the Son. Did you notice that we're told that when the Son is coming back, when He's still a long way off, the Father sees Him. He's seen the Son. He's been looking for the Son. And then the narrative actually comes to a stop there, and then the dialogue begins. You see the Father looking down the road, and in the moment when He sees the boy, when He sees him, His heart's filled with compassion. And he runs. I imagine him sweeping up his robe, tucking it into his waist, and sprinting down the road. There is nothing dignified about the look. But he didn't care. He didn't care what he's, he didn't, he's not concerned what he looks like. He's not concerned about pulling a hamstring at his age trying to sprint. When he gets down the road, he takes the stranger in his arms and he says, and he's kissed him. Literally, he's kissed him much. It's an intensive in Greek. He kisses him and kisses him and kisses him and kisses him. The filthy cheeks of a pig herder receives, receives his loving kisses for a father. Welcome. As he's hugging him and kissing him, the son starts to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. In other words, he's saying, Dad, give me the life of the prodigal son in Jesus. A life of hard work, hard labor, no recognition, just like one of your sons. That's what I deserve. But apparently, he doesn't even finish his speech because the father's already calling his servants. He's not interested in what the son's saying. The pitiful cries of a repentant son are drowned out by the shouts of the father to his servants. Come here. Bring the robe. Bring the ring. Put sandals on his feet. The point is not that the father's just forgiving him. He's completely readopting him as king. That's what it means when he says, get the robe of honor, put it on him. Get, that's what, in the signet ring of sonship. Put it on his finger. Put shoes on his feet. You see, servants don't wear shoes in those days. But the son did. In other words, he's saying, make him a prince. Give him honor. Kill the fattened calf. Call my friends and neighbors. Let's not keep this hidden. Let's let everyone know. Let's have a party to welcome home my son. Here's the point I, I don't want us to miss. It's the welcome of total forgiveness. Total adoption. Total grace. Why would the father do that? Why would he welcome home this boy, this stranger, as he does? Why does he readopt him? Give him the robe, the ring, and the shoes, and a feast. Why does he call his neighbors in? Shouldn't he be ashamed of his son? Answer? Because he wants you to see the joy of the father's heart. The focus is not on the boy's failure. It's on the father. The triumph of joy. He wants you to see the joy that comes when you realize that one who was dead is now alive. It's like a resurrection. 
But here's the unmistakable message of this parable and the message that Jesus doesn't want us to miss. The love of God is crying out to you this morning. The love of God is crying out to you this morning. He's crying. He's pleading for you to see his forgiving love. He's pleading for you to understand the welcome of heaven. Springs from a love that was willing to die for you rather than spend eternity without you. That's the welcome of the Father and the welcome in which we share. But secondly, the mission of the Son. We can't just understand this love. We have to share that welcome with others. And here we are to turn our attention to the other son, the older brother. He's coming into the field. He's been working all day. The house is pulsating with music. He sees the dancing through the windows. The whole hilltop is rocking. He calls to one of his servants and says, what's going on up there? And you have to imagine he has an idea. His last time a party was thrown probably of that nature was when his brother left. But he still plays dumb. What's going on? The servant answers, your brother has come home and your father is having a big party because he received him safe and sound. Now, naturally, naturally, the older brother is overjoyed. Obviously, he's happy to see his brother, right? No. No, he's not. He's irritated. He refuses to go to the feast. He refuses. He won't set foot in that house, not for another minute. He's angry. Why? Because he despises the father's joy. Why would a father be so glad that this rebellious, good-for-nothing, shameful scoundrel that deserves all shame be welcomed back into this house? And not just any welcome, but a feast. He stands frozen in anger while others dance with joy. He rejects the father's grace, so he doesn't enter the house. He doesn't go to the feast. All he wants is his younger brother to be thrown out. In fact, he won't go back until his brother is thrown out. What I, I can imagine the older brother is thinking, is it, what, what he's thinking is this. Everything is mine now. It belongs to me, all of it. The inheritance was divided. That good-for-nothing brother got what, what, what came to him, and he should be gone as if he were dead to me. In fact, he may be thinking, you know, every robe, every ring, Every sandal belongs to me. He has no love for his brother because his brother stands in the way of what he truly loves. You see, that's the way anger works in all of us, doesn't it? Why do we get angry? Because someone or something stands in the way of what we truly love. It's about him, his wealth, his status, his house, his kingdom. And because he doesn't love his brother, he resents his father for loving him so much. So one of the questions the text is asking us is this. Who is actually further away from the father, the older or the younger brother? Who's actually further away from the house? The older brother in darkness or the younger brother in a pig pen? What's amazing to me is when you read the text, the father, did you notice, doesn't just pursue the younger son? He actually pursues the older one as well. He pursues he walks the path a second time. He comes to plead with the older brother to invite him to the feast. 
It's a beautiful picture of God's grace extended to all people. That's the picture that Luke has been painting in chapter 14 and chapter 15. So how does the heart of the Father, the triumph of joy, drive us to mission? I think you see it in the pronoun. Did you notice with the, what the older brother says about the younger brother? He refuses to call him his younger brother. Did you notice that? He says, your son has come back. He's your son, not my brother. The father's response is, it should, it's right that we should be merry and glad, for your brother was dead and is now alive, was lost and is found. You see, your brother understands my heart. The heart of the father changes our attitude toward younger brothers. If you approach God and call him my father, our father, then you must also say to the one far off, my brother, our brother. The love, the true knowledge of the heart of the father commands us to love younger brothers. Do you see how the welcome of the father, the heart of the father drives us to mission, drives us to the ends of the earth. So who are the younger brothers that the Lord has placed in your life right now? Think about it. Who are the younger brothers that the Lord is calling you to pursue right now? Hold that thought. What should have been the reaction of the older brother? What, sh what should a brother, a church do that cares? He should have gone looking for his brother. He should have been watching too. And when the younger brother came home, being a younger man, he should have run past him and his father. He should have had his arms around him first. He should have kissed him first. He should have been the first to welcome him home. They should have gone into the sea. You see, this is the third parable in Luke chapter 15. The first is about a shepherd who has 100 sheep and he leaves 99 to pursue the one. No, that makes no sense whatsoever. Honestly. By leaving the 99 in worldly terms, he risked the 99 to get one. But you see, that's not the point. By leaving, uh, the point is, Jesus is trying to help you understand the extravagant, completely countercultural, extraordinary love of the Father. The second parable is about a woman with ten coins and loses one. She lights a lamp, turns the whole house upside down, sweeps every inch of that place to find the one lost coin. And now you have a brother who loses his only brother. And what does he do? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. In fact, he won't even go in when her brother, his brother comes home. The older brother in this parable is helping us understand another older brother. Actually, Jesus is telling this parable, and he wants you to understand him the true older brother. Jesus is holding himself before his hearers just as I am before you this morning so that you don't misunderstand him. The context of these parables is actually a critique. Jesus presents himself in the face of all those who misunderstand and hate him. You see, his enemies were saying, well, this Jesus guy receives sinners, unclean people. He eats with them. He doesn't have the proper respect that we should have, with, you know, a distance from sinners. He's exposing himself to all sorts of uncleanliness. 
Jesus were really God, if Jesus were really holy, he'd wait until those people came before him. And then he judges them. Jesus turns the tables on them. He's saying to the Jews, you're like that older brother. The true older brother, if you understood what an older brother should do, the true older brother goes and seeks to save that which is lost. He draws near brokenness. He gets his hands dirty. He's willing to go to the ends of the earth to rescue those who are lost. Sounds a lot like your and me, doesn't it? What drives Jesus to do this? And here we come full circle. What drives Jesus to do this? He understands the love of the Father. He knows the Father's compassion. He knows the infinite compassion of an almighty God. And it's that which drives him to seek the lost so that they might know the same love that he knows. Yet Jesus is the seeking shepherd who says, you know what? You are worth it. I'm willing to risk my life in order to rescue Jesus. You see, Jesus is saying, you were the lost coin. You are far more valuable to me than any other treasures of the world. I will not stop searching until you are found. Jesus is really the only one who can say, I am the true heir of all things that belong to the Father. Only I have a valid inheritance. Our, all, our inheritance has been forfeited by us because of our sin, because of our rebellion. But what you don't find in Jesus is this. Jesus saying, it's mine. It's all mine. He said, you have a Jesus who is a shepherd, a rescuer, a king. I long for him to be your shepherd. It's all mine. I can offer it to you. Let me close with this. In the Buddhist parable, the Buddhist father is more relatable, honestly. I get him. His decision makes more sense. My son has failed. That means, ergo, he pays the price. It's fair. It's just. And the discipline, honestly, would do him some good. But you see, in Christianity, here's the difference. The father doesn't demand the price. He pays the price. Forgiveness isn't cheap for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus Christ, having loved his own that were in the world, he loved them to the bitter end. Jesus, the true other older brother, was willing to give his life on a cross. Why? Because God did. In order to welcome you to the table. Heaven's feast is not prepared by uh, is not prepared by killing a fatted calf. It's prepared by the broken body and the blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior. If God is going to be just and justifier of him who comes through Jesus. There had to be a full atonement for sin. And God doesn't just diminish his holiness in order that we can accommodate to his level. Or to our level of of holiness. He doesn't turn away from his righteousness. You see, he's not only willing to forgive. He's willing to pay. You see that. He's willing to pay. In that true outer darkness, the true older brother, Jesus, cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that darkness, the Father doesn't forsake. He doesn't plead. He's covered. 
He abandons his son to the curse of the death on a cross. And in that moment, the infinite God pays the infinite price. Why? So that the Father could fall on your neck and kiss you. So that you never have to experience true darkness. You see, Jesus is calling you this morning. He's inviting you to experience the joy of God's grace. He's inviting you to a feast that's already begun. The music is on the hilltop. They're dancing already. In which all heaven is taking place. There is joy in the presence of angels. All these parables, if you read 14, 15, even to the 16, the parables are all about rejoicing because things that are dead are now alive. Things that were lost are now found. There is true hope and joy in the story of redemption. You see, that's the storyline that should be familiar to any reader of Scripture because it's the same story told over and over and over and over again in Scripture. The gospel is the good news that Jesus is coming. Jesus was coming and has now come. You know what that means? It means what the gospel is reminding us is this. And those who have come home to join, go out. Go out to become witnesses. That's what evangelism is. It's the joyous declaration of the Father's welcome. Just as you have tasted the wonders of God's grace, go out and invite others to the feast. If you're a prodigal this morning, if you find yourself wandering from the Lord, if you still are at home but you hate every minute of it, This story is your story. I hope you never forget the true joy and happiness that that those true joy and happiness are never found on the paths that lead to pig pens. Or maybe you're another type of prodigal. Joyless, witnessless, critical, but beautiful. Jesus is saying, don't stay there. Don't live in a pig pen. You are unworthy to be called God's son. You were totally unworthy. Becoming a Christian is not about making yourself worthy. It's about becoming whole. It's about being made worthy. It's about receiving and embracing the welcome of the Father. Father, we thank you for your amazing grace. Jesus, speak to our hearts this morning. Be with those who have wandered away. They need to feel the warmth of your embrace. They need to hear the certainty and the warmth of your voice calling them home. There are sinners here this morning who have not come home. Lord Jesus, in this very moment, by the power of your spirit, draw them with the cords of everlasting love. Show them that the doors of heaven are wide open. Show them that there and there only is true joy. And let them hear the sound of angels rejoicing because penitent sinners come home. And let them hear the pulsating music on the hilltop. And let them hear the voice of their great high priest Jesus, their singing Savior, rejoicing in the joy of heaven. Fill our hearts with that joy this morning. Forgive us for our reluctant embrace, Father. And we ask this in the Savior's name.